Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you so much for joining us today again on the program and for your faithful support and tuning in. I, I, I know that we are covering so much ground that it is impossible to take it all in in one particular segment. So we have archived everything that we have done to date on the program on YouTube. You can go back there and watch it at any time you would like to, simply by going to YouTube and e either putting my name in the search screen or the words that you might have life, which is the name of this program, and you will come up with all of the programs that we have archived. Matter of fact, probably that you might have life is the best way to get just the sequence of just our programs because there's a whole host of videos that we've done out there in other locations or other local churches when we're traveling. Uh, by the way, we travel all the time, and you you can go to my website and get the information about where we're going to be, uh, meetings we're in, or meetings that we are hosting or holding. Come be with us and meet us in one of these meetings. I believe you'll be greatly blessed. Uh, I also want to just say very quickly that uh, you can also go to our uh, iTunes. You could go to iTunes and you can sign up for our podcast. You can also do that from our website. But the podcast, if you sign up for the podcast, you will have the audio from all of these programs delivered to your uh uh, iPhone, iPad, iPad uh, iPod automatically when you sign up for our podcast and it will be delivered to you and you get the audio of it and you can listen to it over over again if you'd like to. Uh, I want to jump back into the book of Revelation. We are over in the sixth chapter. I'm going to try to conclude the sixth chapter in this particular season so that we can come in next time into the seventh chapter. And man, we've just been, it's almost inexhaustible. Everything so dovetails and connects that it's almost impossible uh, to just cover it. I trust you're understanding it. I believe you are because the response we're getting is overwhelming, and people are telling us how much they appreciate it. But we're going to go into uh, Revelation. Again, this is the sixth chapter. We've already dealt with uh, how there was wars, there was famines, there was earthquakes. Uh, um, they'll deliver you up to be killed. We talked about the souls under the altar last week that were crying, How long till thou dost avenge us? We showed you in prior segments how that is not in your future, but it was already fulfilled. We showed you scripture and verses where those things which Jesus prophesied would occur during that generation did in fact occur during that generation, just like he said it would. The comparison is just so overwhelmingly on the side of evidence that I, to me it's hard to dispute it. Uh, however, I want to go into the uh, sixth chapter again, and we're going to talk about the sixth seal this time. It says, And I beheld when he had opened, this is Revelation 6, verse 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. The sun became sackcloth, became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell into the earth, even, watch this, as a fig tree, which cast her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. And every mountain and island were moved out of their place. And the kings of the earth and the great men, the rich men, and the chief captains and the mighty men, and every bondman and every freeman hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. Said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. I want you to note this is not the wrath of God. This is the wrath of of the Lamb, for the great day of His wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? Now, last week when I was talking about the, uh, I was talking about the martyrs, and I was talking about them that were under the altar crying, how long till thou dost avenge us? And we went into the book of Luke, 
and talked about how that Jesus said, these are the days of vengeance. You know, when Jesus first comes on the scene, let me see if I got that here in my notes, but when Jesus first came on the scene uh, in his first public, uh, when, he, when he preached his first public message, and he came on the scene, uh, he, said, he stood up and he said to them, go get me the book of Isaiah. And he began to find the place where he said, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel and, uh, and to, uh, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach and to declare the acceptable year of the Lord and the year of the favor of our God. He found the place in the book of Isaiah where it said that. Jesus closes the book, I believe that is in Luke chapter 4, and he said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Jesus preaching in the temple begins to declare out of Isaiah that this is the year of the favor of our God. And he stops in the middle of that text, closes the book. He said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. He does that at the beginning of his ministry. If you go back to the book of Isaiah and you read the text that Jesus was reading from, he purposely left out the last part of that last verse. It says, and to declare the days of the vengeance of our God. Jesus purposely did not declare that season as the day of the vengeance of our God because when he started his earthly ministry, he was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and he was declaring unto them the year of the favor of our God. And the end of the book, once they had Matthew 23, Luke 21, when they had killed the prophets, stoned them that were sent to them, he said that upon you will come the blood of all that were slain on the earth. And then he tells them in Luke 21 that these be the days of vengeance. And then we started to show you how that he talked about in 1 Thessalonians, that it is a righteous thing with God to recompense trouble to them that trouble you, that it was God answering the prayer of the martyrs under the altar, saying, how long till thou dost avenge us? It was the days of the vengeance of God because it is a righteous thing with God to recompense trouble to them who had troubled them. And all through that period of time of great persecution and great tribulation and being delivered up to be killed, uh, they were under the altar and they were crying, How long, O Lord, till thou dost avenge us? I would say this as well, and I'll get into this a little bit more when I get over into the trumpets. But when he starts to, what, at, the, at the opening of the seventh seal, the seventh seal, everything happens from then on during the seventh seal. In other words, seven trumpets sound, and then seven vials of wrath are poured out. But all of that happened during the seventh seal. The seventh seal opens, it gives way to seven trumpets. Seven trumpets blow, gives way to seven bowls of blood or, or wrath being poured out. All of that happens under the operation of the seventh seal. But when he starts to talk about before trumpets begin to glow, blow, he said he took the uh, coals from off the altar and cast them into the earth, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake. These souls are under the altar, and they're crying, How long, Lord? Can I tell you that I believe it is the prayers of these saints under the altar that begin to release these lightnings and thunders and earthquakes and these trumpets that are about to sound come as a result of God answering the prayer of these martyrs and those who have given their lives for the cause of Christianity and for the cause of the gospel. I want to get to this though, also the sixth seal uh, today and see if we can at least get this one taken care of. But in the sixth chapter again, uh, it says this, and 
When he'd opened the sixth seal, lo, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth of the air. The moon became as blood. Stars fell from heaven as the earth, even as a fig tree cast her untimely fig when she's shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Now, there's several things that I want to deal with in this segment. Now, I've already in the last one dealt with a little bit the sun, the moon, and the stars. The apostle Peter stood up in chapter 2 of the book of Acts. And he says, this is that. In other words, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy that was given by the prophet Joel, that in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit. Peter said, this is that. So what Peter is saying is, this is the last days, and this is the last days of the old covenant. And since it is, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy that God gave through the prophet Joel that I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then Joel further prophesies that he says, the sun will be darkened, the moon will be turned into blood, and the stars will fall from the heavens. And I, I showed you last week how that that's not uh, language that's talking about natural sun, moon, and stars, but that is language that is prophetic. It is very similar to the dream of Joseph when Joseph saw the sun, the moon, and the stars bowing down to him. And Israel, his father, knew that that was symbols of natural Israel because he said, Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren bow down to thee? And so what Peter was saying is this is just about to be lights out to natural Israel because an old Israel was about to fade off the scene and a new Israel was about to come on the scene. As a matter of fact, we will see when we open the seventh chapter of Revelation that there's a hundred, there's 12,000 people sealed out of every tribe and tongue and kindred and uh, or out of the 12 tribes. And it starts with the tribe of Judah, which really breaks biblical pattern if you're talking about a natural seed because the rules would be you always name the firstborn first and the firstborn, <coughs> excuse me, in this case was, uh, it, it was not, they didn't list Reuben, Reuben first, who was a natural firstborn, but they, they listed Judah first, which was the tribe our Lord sprang out of to show you that it was a nation of spiritual Israel that was being born that were the first fruits of those who received the gospel when the gospel was sent uh, first of all to the Jew first and then also to the Gentile. But I believe it's a people out of every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue that are being sealed. And as a matter of fact, he tells them, before you pour out any kinds of judgment, be sure you seal the servants of God in their foreheads first. So he's dealing with He's dealing with at this particular place, he's talking about the sun, moon, and stars uh, being darkened and the moon being turned into blood. But then the next thing he says, if that's not enough for you, proof, to see that the sun, the moon, and the stars were symbols of natural Israel, he uses the next icon, which to me really red flag just to say it's the same thing. And he said, even as a fig tree, which, which uh, cast her untimely figs when she is shaken, of by a mighty wind, and the heaven departed as a scroll. I think it's interesting that he uses the terminology scroll when it is rolled together in every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Now watch this, because if the sun, the moon, and the stars are a picture, excuse me just a moment, <coughs> of natural Israel, again, the fulfillment of what the prophet Joel said would take place, that this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that the sun would be dark and the moon would be turned into blood. Let me just go ahead and say this as well. You will see in just a few chapters that Joel prophesies about this army who came like locusts 
and who came like a plague. You'll see when the trumpets start to sound, this very same army, they come like an army of locusts. It's the same fulfillment of the same prophetic word that Joel prophesied of the destruction of natural Israel under the occupation of the Roman armies that came uh, like a bunch of locusts to devour everything so there's nothing left at all. It was a very fulfillment of the days of vengeance of our God. And he goes on to say that this fig tree would be shaken by a mighty wind. As I begin to understand that the fig tree is also a symbol of natural Israel and that the wind that was about to blow in Acts chapter 2 when Peter said this is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel that the wind of Pentecost was about to blow. I did a message years ago in Temecula, California that I titled Gone with the Wind because the blowing of the wind of Pentecost began to blow away an old covenant and an old heaven and an old earth and an old Jerusalem and an old creation and an old Israel and it begins to bring in a new Israel, a new Jerusalem, a new heaven and a new earth, a new covenant, a new man. One thing was blown away with the wind and another thing the wind brought. So this wind that's blowing is shaking the fig tree. I thought it was interesting that when I did this that I noticed a few things about the ministry of Jesus. In Luke 13, verse number 6, it said, He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree, and he planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon, and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answered and said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I dig about it, and dung it, and if it bear fruit well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. And uh, then uh, in Matthew chapter 21, verse 18 through 22, uh, it says, Now in the morning, as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If you have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but you will also say unto this mountain, Be removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and it shall be done, and all things whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. Uh, so, um, you know, if you look at this, now I want you to see this first of all. Jesus in Luke 13 comes to a fig tree that's planted in his vineyard, and he seeks for fruit on it. Now, I thought this was very incredible. He said, uh, uh, he said then said he unto the vine dresser, or his, the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on the fig tree. Now, I started thinking about that and thinking, you know, the ministry of Jesus was three and a half years long. And he came to this fig tree, which again to me is a picture of natural Israel, the fig tree being a symbol of, of, of natural Israel. And he comes for the whole three years of his ministry looking for fruit from this system and doesn't find any. And Jesus says to him, uh, cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And the, the, he answered and said to him, Lord, let it alone this year that I can dig about it and dung about it. If it bear fruit, okay. If not, we'll cut it down. Can I tell you, Jesus did allow them to dig around this fig tree and to dung about it and to bring, try to bring forth something. I'm, I'm telling you, he sends them even in his ministry to, uh, you know, to first of all, 
the house of Israel, he comes to this fig tree to see if it'll produce any fruit, and then he even allows them another year to dig about it. But when no fruit grows on it, Jesus comes at another place and says to them, listen, I'm looking for fruit on this tree, and when I don't have any fruit on this fig tree, all of a sudden he curses this fig tree and it withers away. Can I tell you that what's going on here to me is much bigger than him just cursing some random tree out here that didn't have an apple or a fig on it. It is him in a prophetic posture trying to show that this fig tree is not producing any fruit. It will never produce any fruit. And so he curses this fig tree. I might further say that more than it just being a people, I take this concept all the way back to the book of Genesis, where the fig tree was the leaves that Adam used to try to cover his nakedness with. It was man's self-righteousness that did not produce fruit, nor could it ever produce fruit. In other words, Adam uses fig leaves to try to cover his nakedness. And for thousands of years, men have used the fig tree of, I believe, a works-based religious system that can only put on an apron or a front, but can never produce real fruit. What Jesus does is he comes on the scene and curses that whole system and said, let no more fruit grow on you again. And can I tell you that mighty wind began to blow. And and when it did, it shook the fig tree and the fig tree was shaken by a mighty wind and the sun, the moon, and the stars, all of which are a picture of natural Israel and its religion law system was about to pass off the scene as God would begin to give birth. As the heaven began to part like a scroll, uh, it would be rolled together. I think it's interesting that it rolls together like a great scroll and passes away with a great noise. The scroll to me would be a real symbol to me of the role of the old covenant again, his passing off of the scene. I, I got this thought then also In Matthew 5, verse 17, Jesus says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill, which is exactly what Jesus did. He fulfilled every jot, every tittle of the law. He said, Verily I say to you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law to all be fulfilled. Now we see in Revelation chapter 6, verse 14, the heaven departed as a scroll and rolled together and every island and every mountain were removed. Jesus said, see, uh, uh, that I did not come to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill it. In other words, he kept it all. He paid every debt that it required and that that system could no longer make any more demands on you. And then he goes on to say, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle will pass away to all is fulfilled. If that scripture is not fulfilled, we are still up under the law. But I submit to you that it is fulfilled, including the passing away of an old heaven and an old earth. I put this in my notes. This is, let me just read it because it helps me do it quicker. It says, please note uh, the context of the first passage using the new heaven and the new earth. Watch the wording in it. And I'm going to read it to you in a minute from Isaiah. It follows that the judgment of natural Jerusalem and the bringing in of the Gentile nations. This puts the setting in 70 AD. It is my opinion that the old heaven and the old earth are dealing with the old covenant. The new heaven and the new earth are dealing with the new covenant of the new man, the new bride, the new Jerusalem. Uh, the new heaven and the new earth, it would be also be easy to connect the words of the Apostle Peter and Acts chapter 2 with the sun, the moon, and the stars are symbols of natural Israel and his covenant and the passing of the old heaven and the old earth. Um, uh, and I put in my notes that the, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Here, it is a symbol of the old world and the old Adam, but God creates a new one. 
the old heaven and the old earth first symbolized are dealing with the old man and the old creation and that which was fallen away and man's ascent and then God creates a new heaven and a new earth and a new man. God also uses this imagery to describe Abraham's offspring. Your seed, your seed will be like the stars in the heaven and like the dust of the earth. It also connects to Peter's last day message on the day of Pentecost, which I already dealt with. Josephus, which is, this is powerful. Josephus in the Antiquities of the Jews says that the Jews looked on their temple as a heaven and earth. It was the place where heaven and earth came together where God and man met. And can I just tell you that that old heaven and that old earth passed away, the heavens departed as a scroll, that old heaven, that old temple, that old system, that old Jerusalem passed away, those old elements melted with a fervent heat, and at that time God brings on the scene a new temple wherein dwells righteousness, of which you and I are a part of that. God brings in at that time not an old Jerusalem, but a new Jerusalem, which is not a place, but a people, and it is the community of faith, for you have come to Mount Zion, Hebrews the 12th chapter says, and you are come to the city of the living God. You are the city that Abraham was looking for, whose builder and maker is God. And that city is in the earth right now as the community of faith. And out of it, a river should be flowing that's touching the nations and healing the nations with the leaves that flow from that. Isaiah 65 is one of the places where it talks about a new heaven and a new earth. And it says this, I am sought of them that asked not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, behold me, behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name. I've spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people which walketh in a way that was not good after their own thoughts. A people that provoketh me to anger continue to my face that sacrifices in the gardens and burns incense upon the altars uh, uh, a brick. In other words, he starts out in Isaiah 65 by saying, I'm going to be found of them who weren't looking for me. That's the people that he was talking about uh, that were coming on the scene. In other words, an old Israel was about to reject him. God was about to bring in the Gentiles, a people who sought not after him. That would happen during the days of a new heaven and a new earth. Then Romans, the 10th chapter comes on the scene and verse 20 through 21, it says, but Isaiah, or but Isaiah's is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not, and I was made manifest unto them that asked not for me. But to Israel he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. So the Gentiles were being brought in, and Israel was about to be gone with the wind. Isaiah 65 verse 17 says, For behold, I create new heavens and new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy and the people and the voice of weeping shall no more be heard in her nor the voice of Christ. See, that is absolutely and completely fulfilled in the giving birth of this new Jerusalem, which once again is not a place, it is a people. He also says to them in Revelation, the very beginning, he says to him that overcomes, I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is new Jerusalem, which cometh down from heaven out of, from my God. That new Jerusalem is the bride, the lamb's wife, whom he is married to right now. Hallelujah. That's powerful to me. And so, you know, I like how Revelation 21 verse 
verse 1 through 5 said, I saw heaven and earth new created, gone the first heaven, gone the first earth, gone the sea, and I saw holy Jerusalem new created, descendant, resplendent out of heaven, is ready for God as a bride for her husband. And I heard the voice of thunder from the throne saying, look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. And now if I'm preaching, I'd say, slap your neighbor and tell him property values just went up because God moved out of natural buildings and he moved into a spiritual building. God moved out of a natural Jerusalem and he moved into a spiritual Jerusalem. He blew away an old heaven and an old earth, which was an old covenant and an old temple and an old Jerusalem. And he gave birth to a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Heaven and earth have passed away. That's why you and I are not under the law, according to Matthew chapter 5, is that heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. And I'm telling you that Jesus fulfilled every jot and tittle of the law so that what he's introducing there is there's a whole new covenant that is coming on the scene. It says, I heard a voice thunder from the throne. Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood, making his home with men and women. That's a present reality, folks. They're his people. He's their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. See, that's all fulfillment of these scriptures that we're seeing where God wipes every tear off of every face. All the first order of things is gone. That's the old covenant, man. All the first order of things is gone. Enthroned, the enthroned one continued, look, I am making everything new. Write it all down. Each word is dependable and accurate. Hallelujah. And you know, you, I could look in also in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 12 through 13, that the new heavens and the new earth follow on the heels of the elements melting with a fervent heat, which is, of course, dealing with, again, those elements being a type, or not a type, but every other place where it's talked about in the Scripture, the elements in Galatians chapter 4, when we were children and were under the law, were under the elements. That's the Greek word stoichion that deals with the law of Moses. So those elements melted with a fervent heat, and God said, seeing these things are about to be dissolved in the book of Peter, clear back there, Peter was declaring that. And he said, seeing they're about to be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be? In other words, the law is about to be taken off the picture, and since it is, what manner of persons ought you to be? And all holiness, looking for and hastening to the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire and the elements melt with the fire. In other words, God already did that. That's not a nuclear holocaust. That was the burning and the destruction of Jerusalem that occurred just like he prophesied and the other prophets prophesied. I'm telling you, if you cannot see over the weeks how we have absolutely made this stuff fit together, not with USA Today or CNN, but with the Word of God, I don't know what it's going to take to convince you. You can believe what you want, but we're just putting it out there. This is what we feel like the Lord said to us. We're about to run out of time. God bless you. Thank you again for joining us. Take a moment to write to us. Call that number on the screen. If you can help us, we deeply, deeply appreciate it. It is your faithful support and your partnership that is helping us to stay on the air and take this gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of His grace around the world. If you appreciate what we're doing and you realize that, look, there's not a lot of people saying what we're saying, get behind us. Don't wait on somebody else to do it. This is our, our opportunity. This is our day. And I believe you can be part of something huge. God bless you and thank you from the bottom of our hearts. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.